Welcome to this bonus episode of Dirty Harry Minute. Thanks very much to the following for their contribution to this unexpected episode. Michael Breitling, Ben Pobji, David Dedrick, and the Jones Boys over at Indiana Jones Minute Podcast. Um, Also thanks to Kyle and the Machine, a great film podcast, and also Ruined Childhoods. Again, another great film review podcast for allowing me to use some of their clips on Dirty Harry in the episode you're about to hear. So, once again, thanks for listening to the podcast these past three years. The the feed will be up indefinitely, so please, kindly, if you could just review on iTunes or elsewhere. We've only had a couple of reviews, so hell, even a two-star rating would be a, a handsome addition. Um, we would have done this for zero listeners, but you know now it's in the ether, and hopefully more people will stumble across the show over the years, and we'll try and keep the Facebook page up for infinity and beyond. And who knows, there may be a few one-off uh, special episodes in the next few years, um, and Clintcast if that gets off the ground. So if you want to be a guest on a podcast about Clint Eastwood or the man with the 44, then please reach out. I'd love to, um, I'd love to be a guest on someone's uh, podcast about Clint Eastwood. Absolutely would love it. Uh, finally, big thanks to Tim and Trent, my other two hosts who, as you know, dropped in and out of the podcast, but they helped me in the earlier episodes to maintain my enthusiasm for the entire endeavor. And so even though it drove them mad at times, um, they were basically there for me all the time. So guys, um, Thank you very much in validating my faith in uh, in the project. A big hugs and kisses to the movies by a minute community too. But I'd particularly like to single out Brian Lockhart and the Marine Corps Minute for their great help over the last year. And also Pete Mummett, Niall McGowan and Sean German, etc. Who, who gave so much of their time. So enough of my yapping as... Marty DeBerg, you would say, enjoy this bonus episode of Dirty Harry Minute! Happy birthday, Harry, you're still dirty, 50 years older, no one is bolder. Here at Dirty Harry Minute, We'd like to congratulate the filmmakers all those years ago. Deeply moved, I am. Harry goes to the same diner day in and day out. You see, these sick guys have behaviour patterns. Harry was one of the first cops to embrace colonic irrigation. May I bring you in a cup of coffee? No, Chico, did you and Harry ever violate the Constitution or... Don't answer that. Are you feeling lucky? Chair, are you feeling lucky, Tom? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, do you? So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny you say that. Uh, our, our buddy Jonathan over at the uh, Dirty Harry Minute, he likes to do these little holiday-themed episodes, and he had a couple of questions for us about Dirty Harry, and so we thought it might be fun to um, see what all of us think. And, oh, uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, what if it ends uh, up not being fun? Would we just erase it or, or what? It's going to be fun. Okay. I don't, well, you know what? Fun, I don't know. Dirty Harry doesn't, like, I don't think of fun when I think <laughs> of Dirty Harry. <laughs> yeah. Well, some of them compare Dirty Harry to Indiana Jones. So maybe 
Oh, all right. Oh, that sounds yeah. like fun. Harrison Ford, a man <laughs> known for his fun and whimsy in everyday life. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, the first question John asks is, who would you rather have over for Christmas dinner, Clint Eastwood or Harrison Ford? Oh, I See, I feel like if you had Clint Eastwood over, okay. he's just going to talk to the ch- like the chair at the end of the table. <laughs> right. Well, that's why a person sitting in the chair yeah. next to him. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. That's not. I, I would if it's Clint Eastwood and Harrison Ford or Dirty Harry and Indiana Jones. Oh, I, I'm, way, I'm go, picking Harrison Ford and Indiana yeah, Jones. Yeah. I'm picking Harrison Ford and uh, Indiana Jones. A Dirty Harry at Thanksgiving I might pick dinner. Clint Eastwood and Indiana yeah. Jones. Now, why Wait, would you pick Clint oh. Eastwood? He seems maybe a little more approachable as a as a person. But Although he, maybe it's just uh, if if you try to approach Harrison Ford about his characters rather than approach him as a human right. being. See, but what I I think, would... Yeah, I think if Harrison Ford was invited to your home for yeah. Christmas dinner, he wouldn't yeah. be a grumpy jerk. He'd be yeah. at least friend, yeah. you know, at least approachable yeah. and and a, and, a, and a guest yeah. and you could have a nice conversation with him. I yeah. th- you know what? I would like to ask him to lead the thanksgiving sort of introduction or or the you know the prayer <laughs> what are you so grateful for yeah, yeah what do you want to be grateful for <laughs> are you feeling grateful <laughs> are you gonna <laughs> pray to god <laughs> let's, let's see grace together <laughs> well, they, 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 they've got some similarities they've definitely got some similarities oh sure yeah yeah and john asked would it be wise to seat uh harry callahan next to indiana jones at the dinner table mm. no Really? I'm trying to no. think of what would be the drawback to it. What would uh, uh, they're both what could kind go of? At, they're kind of uh, sort of I don't know sober alpha males. See, I see them more maybe as lone wolves than alpha males, but I mm. feel like yeah, I do feel wolves. like Harry would. There'd be some cracks about college boy. This and... exactly, yeah. yeah. If he's there yeah. as a professor. Harry's going to be like, oh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Who needs you? Yeah. yeah. And, and I can see him. He'll be like, you know, put a sock in it, will you? Yeah. But then that could lead to all sorts of fun. Like once he realizes, oh, wait, I'm dealing with a two-fisted archaeologist who beats up Nazis and stuff. That could be kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Would, would, would Harry participate in the Secret Santa or Chris Kringle with his office colleagues? Wow. Like a hand grenade or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, but it doesn't, it doesn't go off. Yeah. See, I have this, I have this view of Harry that he would not, like, he would say he's not going to participate oh. and you wouldn't see anything. Like, there would be no gift at the party. And then whoever ha- his name he had would be like, oh, no one got me anything. Yeah. And they'd like go out to their car and they would find that, the, you know, their flat tire that was fixed in their front door. Of their <laughs> no, house. They, they, like, they he'd do like something a... <laughs> like secretly in it because yeah. they didn't want to call any attention to it. Yeah, like or like the guy out. who killed your parents years ago yeah. tied up in the trunk of your car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, get into, you get into the car and, and the, the one next to you has a Youngstown tune-up. <laughs> it just blows up. Yep. Hi, I'm Michael from Canada. I'm not the only Michael in Canada, obviously, but I'm a Michael from Canada, and I'm a fan of Dirty Harry and the Dirty Harry Minute podcast. I love listening to it. And Jay was nice enough to ask me to weigh in on my thoughts on some questions about the character of Harry Callahan. The first one was, what sport do you feel Harry would be drawn to, besides target shooting, which of course he does in Magnum Force, and he's pretty much a champion at that. Um, So that's a good question. What sport would he like? Uh, 
Two of the main traits we know about Harry Callahan is that he's a lone wolf. He dislikes authority in groups. And to me, that would eliminate sports where there's a lot of collaboration and teamwork. Having to pass the ball off to teammates, rely on them to do things, listen to coaches. I think he'd hate all that. The other thing is he's really physical. He solves problems, you know, through force, basically shooting or punching people. Uh, So I think boxing is the answer. Because, yeah, there's a referee who will have rules. But for the most part, you know, there's no teammate. And essentially, to be successful at boxing, you just have to beat the opponent through force. So I think he's probably done boxing. If we got a bio of Dirty Harry, I bet he would, in his past, in his youth, or in the police academy or something, he probably boxed. You know, he pummels the suicidal guy um, that's threatening to jump in the first Dirty Harry. So, and he enjoyed it. Like, it looked like he was having fun doing that. So I think that would be a sport. It's not a complicated sport. You know, there's not a lot of red tape. You just beat somebody. And I think he would hate it if he failed to knock out his opponent and the judge had to make a decision. But, you know, in terms of the actual sport itself, that's what he would like. The next question I was asked was, what does Harry eat for breakfast? That's a good one, too. I mean, we know Harry has simple tastes. First one, he eats hot dogs and with no ketchup. He eats regularly at that hamburger joint in Magnum Forest where out by the airport. And he doesn't like sugar in his coffee. And he's got virtually nothing in his fridge. I think he eats out, goes to the same place all the time. He likes routine. The servers at the diners all know him and what he orders. He doesn't even have to look at a menu or anything. So I'm thinking he goes to the same place every morning and gets protein, like red meat. And even though he's in Northern California and back even in the 70s, they were health conscious out in California, always on the cutting edge of, you know, health food. I don't think he would get into any of that organic granola, avocado, protein. I'm thinking for breakfast, crispy bacon, maybe a fried egg, no ketchup, black coffee, you know, no messing around. He would growl at the person next to him for ordering carrot juice, you know, but he'd come in every day, get the same thing. After retirement, would Harry leave San Francisco? I don't think so. He grumbles about the city, but I don't, he's not the type to relax in a tranquil setting. Sudden impact when he was forced into taking a vacation to that seaside community. It didn't suit him. He was awkward. I think he's a San Francisco guy, you know, through and through. If at the end of Deadpool, he and Patricia Clarkson stay together and she got a new job at a different TV station, like in Denver or wherever, Atlanta, I bet he would break up with her and stay in San Francisco. I think he just stays there. Some people hate Clint Eastwood. It was not on their minds. Would Harry be better off a cop in a small town? I don't think so. I think his personality is suited to the city. And maybe that's a chicken and egg kind of situation that he's kind of created himself because of the situation he's in. But it's hard to imagine that sort of taciturn, you know, not all that friendly, pretty, you know, pretty prickly character, you know, sort of a small town sheriff or something. (laughs) I mean, maybe that would be amusing. You know, I wonder if it would be good to do like if they did back in the day when, when Clint Eastwood could have played the character one more time, if they'd done like a, a film where he's like traveling through the Midwest and his car breaks down and he ends up in this small town, which is under 
threat and there's no sheriff because the sheriff has been killed or the sheriff has left, you know, just because the situation is too dangerous. So the sheriff just leaves and he kind of inherits this thing and, and, and has to like be a, be a small town sheriff and not only be that character for this, you know, to stop these bad guys, but also just to be a small town sheriff and do the cat in the tree kind of situations and things like that. That'd be kind of funny. And I wonder if you could kind of like parallel things like getting a cat out of the tree with him having to get the stop the suicide in the first film and things. That'd be kind of amusing. Fantasy of fantasy, we would have a franchise crossover in the Warner Brothers family where Dirty Harry Callahan teams up with his cousin Debbie Callahan from the Police oh. Academy series. <laughs> and they just they just fuck beat the shit out of everybody. Yeah. They have a lot of the same, you know, mentalities about law enforcement, but I'd say oh, he's more of a yeah. tackleberry. Back in 1999, Tim and I made a film called Dirty Larry. No guesses for what the film was. (laughs) The short film went for about 20 minutes and was shot at our high school, which stood in for the police department. We filmed the remainder of the homage on the streets of Melbourne. Um, Chico was renamed Rico, with the last name being Smell or stench, Rico stench, and bad American accents were attempted by all. Now, instead of coming from San Jose, we wrote Chico, sorry, Rico, as coming from Canberra instead of San Jose, which became a running gag in the movie. Oh, this sort of operation requires backup, Larry. What are you talking about? Larry... You need a new partner, buddy. What about the one I've got? <sighs> Nothing, Larry. But the current one's in hospital, and your old one's dead. I mean, Rico is just transferred here from Canberra Police. Are you kidding? I've got no time to waste rookies and sandpits while Shaggy was in the loose. <sighs> I'm sorry, Larry. I haven't got the time to initiate some fresh meat. Look, Eugene's dead, murdered, and Wendell's in the hospital, two bullets in his ribs. I'm sorry, Larry, but I've had orders from above. You'd have Rico as your partner. In Dirty Larry, we renamed the bad guy Shaggyo instead of Scorpio, a joke at the expense of the actor who played Shaggyo and his hairstyle. And we raised the stakes in our version in that Shaggyo would not kidnap just Anne-Mary Deacon, but would grab no less than then-current pop star Natalie Imbruglia instead. Natalie Imbruglia, buried alive. Double-crossing. Melbourne police made me do this. Now ransom is $1 million. In used tens and twenties. One man. A black bag to deliver the money to Treasury Gardens. Intersection, 11am tomorrow morning. She has oxygen until 6pm. Shaggyo was even more belligerent than Scorpio and engaged with Harry in an even uh, more unhinged manner. We decided not to use the do I feel lucky line. That would just be a stretch too far. Instead, we came up with what we thought was a kick-ass substitute. I've got a job to do. See ya, buddy. 
Knowing our limitations, like any other good men, we decided to delete the final third of the original film, the budget just didn't extend that far, or our interest, and so Dirty Larry would end at the equivalent of the Mount Davidson cross scene. Rico is shot just like Chico is, but Harry doesn't get stabbed, and nihilistically he aims the gun at Shaggyo, who's prostrate on the ground, and he doesn't even think at all about the girl, Natalie Imbruglia. He just blows Shaggyo away because he knows Natalie Imbruglia is already dead. Run or move? I'll kill the girl, you understand? I'll kill the rights, man! Alright, show us the piece. Fuck, that's a big one. Put it on the ground! Alright, put your face in the cement. Fucking ass, you fucking pig. Tell me where the girl is. Don't talk back. If you care about it, shut up. I've changed my mind. I'm gonna let her die. I just wanted you to know that before you die. <laughs> See you, Callahan. <laughs> I've got a job to do. See ya, buddy. If there was a prequel and then I came to put it to the same conclusion that you did, where it's like, oh, about how somebody is a giant asshole, <laughs> like how that how that shapes up. So you could do a prequel because by the time we meet Dirty Harry, he's like 40 and he's already Dirty right. Harry. That involves making a hero out of this violent cop and i don't want to be rooting for that guy let's say we do have this movie i i would call it harry if i had to and it's yeah it's him becoming this person who he is who breaks all the rules who maybe there are reasons why he hates women so much (laughs) like it would be bad it would be really bad because it's like you wouldn't you're right you wouldn't want to root for this person only way that you'd be able to justify something, and I'm not saying that you should, would be to make it clear that Harry Callahan is on the autism spectrum, and the things that he does as uh, you know an officer of the law and just as a you know person living in the world are a result of you know this inhibitor in him that you know makes him act certain ways or you know it's like i am here to stop this crime i will stop this crime and that oh there i i'm not saying it's a good idea i'm just saying that that's the only way that you could justify that oh. behavior without making it just be like no this is just you know somebody who's selfish and I 
I don't think it could happen just because, uh, you know, he, he's just too old, I think. But, you know, if there was a place for him to be in in this character one more time in a, in a way that he doesn't necessarily have to be very active. But what I was thinking is, like, maybe there is somebody who's on the San Francisco police force who uh, disobeys all the orders is essentially a modern day dirty Harry who plays by his own rules and, and maybe he's taken it too far and they're trying to get somebody to control him. So they bring in the only person they know who can think like him, Harry Callahan, Um, kind of like a, Silence of the Lambs <laughs> type of situation, like get into the mind of the of the criminal. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think that that would it would never happen because there's no way that Clint Eastwood would ever admit that like his character was wrong to do what he did. Uh, right. I, yeah. I do feel like Clint Eastwood has such ownership of that character and that character's beliefs. So. I don't know. It, it's it is a tough one. I mean, I think I I do like the idea of maybe do reboot the series and like do it better and and give it the the proper treatment and really just honor the the thing that makes Dirty Harry Dirty Harry. There, his name is Dirty Harry because he gets all the dirtiest jobs. And, uh, and you know, like cast somebody who's you know just like a, a younger. I uh, kind of somebody who's got like a good, I don't know, darker side to them that makes that gives them the, I don't know, the drive to kind of play by their own rules. I was thinking Riz Ahmed would be really cool. Yes. My mind obviously went to Ryan Gosling at first because I was like, he's got that like brooding thing. But then I was like, first of all, no, it it shouldn't just be another white guy. But if also, re- but also, it's yeah. like I've already seen Ryan Gosling as the cop that I only ever want him to be, and that's in the Nice Guys. Riz Ahmed, great choice. Thank you. Great choice. Also, because I, lo- I mean, if you're gonna remake Dirty Harry, and of course, the obvious, especially as I was watching the Deadpool, I was like, man, like Liam Neeson at a certain point uh-huh. would have been a great like new Dirty Harry. Uh, not, uh-huh. at, not at this point. And he like kind 90s. Of, yeah, like before he started doing basically like Eastwood yeah. type roles in, you know, every type of situation where he has to avenge something. Right. So, uh, but I love the idea of Riz Ahmed, but I can yeah. very easily see him being the cop who doesn't give a shit about authority. Right. And is like, fuck it like this is my job my job is to catch criminals and that is what i am going to do and and also in terms of like the aside from the fact that as an actor he's a great actor for it in terms of rebooting this, a series with a lot of problems in terms of race not casting a oh, white totally. guy happy christmas dirty harry and happy birthday as well Deck the halls with 44s, tra-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Miranda rights have their flaws, tra-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Concern for every victim's rights, tra-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. We trust in you to put things right, tra-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. So what I looked at and I was like, all right, what is going to make me actually going to want to watch a sixth Dirty Harry movie? And yes, Harry's retired. No, Harry is not on active police duty, but there's a trial. 
And it, think of the Derek Chauvin trial oh, mm -hmm. and imagine something similar to that. And Harry, who is maybe he's in a, in a home where really all they do is, is watch TV and they talk about what they see on what they watch on TV. Okay. What if this is Harry's reckoning? And what if it's like, what, what if Harry, what if this is Harry saying like, before I die, do I need to atone for something? And I was thinking, I was like, this could be a play. <laughs> it, it, yeah. it could be a play where you have the trial going on and you have Harry responding to it and thinking like, is that guy me? Is that me 40 years ago? Right. You know, I got to win. I'm a hero. And I was on the cover of San Francisco magazine. Like the, they call him the Wyatt Earp of San Francisco. And he, he's like, oh, I did all these things. And I, I definitely, I put all these criminals away, but did I really do right by the law? Uh huh. Maybe he's experiencing this reckoning, this defund the police. Maybe he said it in 2020. I don't know. Said it in 2020 during COVID when there's a pandemic and he has nothing to do but right. sit and watch TV. Although then how is there a trial going on anyway? Or what if, what if you've got a series of trials and everyone is like, you know what? I grew up reading about this Harry Callahan and Sarah. I said, that's what I want to be. And it's like, I want to lock up criminals no matter what I have to do. And uh -huh. that's who inspired me. And what if he's like, I don't know, does he have to testify or something? I kind of like it with just him experiencing this trial and the movie being about how that guy who got away with it because he did all this shit back before there were any type of consequences. How is he processing this? Yeah. Is he rooting for that cop? Is he ashamed of himself? Is there a reckoning? We cut to Dirty Harry, and weirdly, yeah. it's not a big reveal on Dirty Harry in this. It's, it's very just, soft, isn't it? We have a sort of helicopter shot of, I don't even know if it's a Golden Gate Bridge. Again, it's all in darkness. It looks shit. We're in the car. We pan up to him, and it's Clint Eastwood driving a car. Mm. He's driving along, and then um, a, a, a very slow car pulls up next to him. It's very, very underwhelming. It's it's very underwhelming. Like basically, there's a guy standing in the middle of the road with a machine gun pointing straight at Clint Eastwood's car, and Clint mm. Eastwood somehow gets out of that sticky situation by driving in a straight line into the man. But there's a scene later on in the Chinese restaurant which would have served much better as his introduction than this. The way it's set up, it, it makes better for a, here's Dirty Harry than this. Yeah. Well, the problem with that scene is that it ties um, just by luck into the scene before. Like, this mm. entire film is based on luck. Yeah. Um, because the screenwriter... Do, do you know who wrote this? It couldn't be asked to direct it himself, so he gave it a Buddy Van Horn, which yeah. which feels like... I had a check there was a real person, and I just Clint Eastwood giving himself a porn name. <laughs> or Clyde. <laughs> uh, yeah, apparently I read that he made it with him because this guy works really fast, which probably means he only does one take. But he just wants to go home. I think... I, I can't imagine... I'm surprised he ever has night shoots. Because I get the sense he wants to be in bed by seven. No, I, this feels very, very fucking low effort on many, many fronts. 
yourself a San Franciscan Christmas Chasing down those perps Next year the mayor will be gone that journey Earn yourself some overtime this Christmas a haircut you'll have time next year you'll be exonerated it'll be fine once again as in olden days feel to follow your hunch Flatfoot's pounding the pavement Smashing criminals before lunch Have yourself a San Franciscan Christmas Chasing down those perks Next year the mayor That loser mayor Will be gone that jerk Oh Once again as in Smash criminals. How about yourself now coming back to it a second time? This movie opens up and it is so well shot and so cool. And it just gives you this really warm but cold-blooded feeling that this is going to be some badass like action flick drama thriller and by the middle i fucking hated everybody uh, particularly mm. the uh, psycho sociopath whatever he's such a a gross puppet uh he's not even a human being that i just i was so it was so grossed out does it want you to actually sympathize with clint eastwood or does it want you to hate clint eastwood and to be perfectly honest, I don't know. <laughs> I am not confident to say either way of whether or not the movie and the creators knew what they were trying to do. What I think is interesting is that they are making this police officer who is taking justice into his own hands. They're almost making the audience culpable in a way. And, and maybe this is like being apologetic where you're given this guy who is like killing people willy nilly and not seeming to care about it in this is the story, still the Dirty Harry, Clint Eastwood character. And then you get someone who is so grossly worse <laughs> than that. He's a sniper. He's kidnapping women. He's, like, killing kids. Like, he's doing all this gross and reprehensible stuff. So that by the end, we're going, like, yeah, like, he deserved to be killed. And that in itself is, like, an interesting statement at the time that this movie is being made. And I think it's an interesting thing to talk about now is, like, 
do we believe that? Do we believe that there are situations where the system fails so completely that we're okay with someone stepping over those bounds? What's the third Harry film? The Enforcer. The Enforcer. That's the one where Tyne Daly gets shot in the knocker, yeah. <laughs> I got, that, that was the only partner that I cared when they died, I think. Yeah, because his whole thing in that is he hated women. Yeah, and she's really good in it. She's great. I, yeah. I couldn't give a shit if Quan dies. Yeah, I, as you say, I could not give a fuck about him. I don't know what the point of him is in this, because he's got no character story or arc. I don't know where he's come from to homicide, but he seems really nervous. Like, he's like, where, where have you come from? Oh, lollipop crimes. Yeah. All right, well, that's, you're in trouble then. Um, and I then... can only think that they want him to die because they can make a robot out of him. <laughs> so they sent him to Harry Callahan because all his partners die. Not. <laughs> I'd like it once in one of these films if they were like, you're a Chinese guy, right? So that means you can do Kung Fu. And they go, no. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to do Kung Fu. But no, they always know how to do Kung Fu. Uh, I bet another two people die this week. Yeah. So celebrities always go in threes. That's right. Always goes in threes. He says it twice as well. He keeps Which saying it. makes you it. think, is he the killer? A spoiler alert. No, he's not. In no. fact, he has almost no bearing on the plot of this film whatsoever. No, he's a, he's a complete bystander in this entire script. But he, he genuinely looks like he believes it. He's just... It's just a weird moment. There's lots of weird moments. And this is... You get the sense later on that if he had survived another day without having a major incident, Harry, Harry would have just shot him in the fucking skull. Could they remake Dirty Harry with a woman? Which actress? Well, of course they could remake Dirty Harry with a woman. There's nothing nothing to stop them from doing that. And I don't even think it would be wrong to do that. I think, I think it would be kind of interesting to, especially to remake the first film, and but keep it with a male serial killer protagonist, or not protagonist, antagonist. And yeah, I think that would be kind of an interesting... I do think, though, that I think if you're going to remake Dirty Harry now, you would have to have a more emotive character. I think an actor who plays it as with as little affect as as Clint Eastwood did now, I don't think that would be that interesting. I think, you know, I think we can see that now with with an actor who's kind of giving his all, giving his less, like um, uh, Bruce Willis, for instance, in a lot of the more recent films, where he's just kind of dropping in to say hello and then leaving. I think that. I think that's kind of old hat now. That that idea of that kind of flat, you know, affectless deliver, delivery that Clint Eastwood. I mean, Clint Eastwood is somewhat emotional, but is you know he kind of plays a very taciturn kind of stoic character. And I think I think it would be more interesting with a character who has more emotion to the part. And who do I think should play that part? Well, I think it's obvious it should be Melissa McCarthy. No, just kidding. Um, you know, I was thinking about this, and I think it'd be fun to do it with a with a female action star. But I'm not sure who the modern female action star is now. Like I think in the 80s, and maybe early 90s, someone like Cynthia Rothrock would have been fun. Because I think I think I'd like to see it, you know, it done with a little bit more action on the part of the actor playing Dirty Harry. Uh, you know, as much as I like Clint Eastwood, he wasn't. He was pretty much strictly an actor. He didn't have like a big, you know, um, action hero part to to him i know you know the movies that he plays the you know the sort of action movies that he in he's not that active in them he's you know i mean he does do the long running scene in in dirty harry but most of the movies he's just sort of standing there with and shooting people magically with his gun and from all sorts of different 
impossible angles, you know, and with, without even aiming, he's just shooting wildly off the hip and kill, you know, hitting everyone. So it's amazing, but it seems very unlikely. So I think if you're going to do a remake, it it has to be a little more, it has to be a little more complex in the telling of the police, because nowadays, I mean, our, our feelings about the police are much more complex than they were in the late '60s. And I think the main character has to be more emotive, has to make us draw us into the film. And I think it has to be an action star of some sort. You know, 10 years ago, I would have said Gina Carana, because I think, you know, you could do kind of a haywire thing with her where you just surround her. She's not a great actress, but if you surround her with good actors, you can get, you know, a pretty good performance out of her, or at least, a you know, an effect, affecting, or effective performance. Uh, but I'm not too sure who could do a modern one. Charlize Theron, but maybe she's too old now for that part. I don't know. I don't know. I can't think of anyone. I'm not very good at that sort of uh, put a face to... Uh, I'll say Florence Pugh, just because I like her so much. Would Harry have been a member of the police union back then when unions weren't as strong as now? Well, John, you've got it mixed up because it's in the past that unions were strong and now they are less strong. Now there's been more laws made that weaken unions so that uh, unions don't have the strength that they once had, but... But would Harry have been a member of the police union? Well, would Harry have been a willing member of the union? Do I think of him as kind of a libertarian? I do kind of picture him having those sort of those sort of feelings, you know. So maybe he's like, you know, he wouldn't want to be a member of any, or wouldn't want to, yeah, he wouldn't want to join a club that would have him as a member, and that would include the police union. You know, he's definitely too too uh, much of a uh, contrarian to to go along with any such uh, such an idea. So probably not. Does that answer the question? I don't even know. I don't even know what the question is anymore. What would Harry's reaction to defund the police be? <laughs> well, I think that Harry would welcome it to a degree, and because I, I think that he would think that a lot of what the police do nowadays is not really policing in the traditional way it once was like you know the idea that police have to go in and police men the mentally ill that didn't that was less likely to happen during Harry's time there were places for people who had mental illness and whether you agree or disagree at that time they were locked up in in mental institutions for the most part and so that's where they were cared for. And so you had less of those people on the streets. And so that wasn't a part of a police job. I think that it's unfair to ask police now to police people who are not easily policed because they they have trouble understanding reality and have trouble, you know, dealing with, you know, just the situation they've been forced into, you know, when they closed, well, here, where I live, I don't know if this is the case everywhere, but where I live... You know, there was a movement by people who were, you know, doing it with the idea that they're doing it with the best interests of the mentally ill to deinstitutionalize them and put them out into the general population. And of course, governments were quite happy to do that because it was cheaper to do that than to house them in mental institutions. But the, you know, promised support that these people were supposed to receive never happened because the government didn't want to fund that. And so these people were just left to live in the streets and so that's a big problem obviously and that's a big problem for the police because that's part of what they do 
But it's not really fair to ask them to, to deal with criminals and also deal with mentally ill people who are not criminals, but who might do criminal acts as part of you know, the problems they're facing. As people living below the poverty line, they, you know, they can't, there's no housing for them. They, they have to find food somewhere they need to live. They have all these problems. They, there's often drug dependency as well because they start self-medicating. All the other problems that are associated with this you know, that's not something Harry would have dealt with in 1960 San Francisco. So I think that, you know, in some ways, I think he would agree with the idea of taking some of that responsibility off of police shoulders and putting it onto the, onto the shoulders of, of social workers, which was the original idea anyway. So, you know, is defund the police just mean that there's no police? Because that's insane and no one, I don't think anyone's suggesting that. The idea that crime is going to go away just because you get rid of the police is ridiculous. So I don't think anyone thinks that's a good idea. You know, I think the idea that there should be better police is is a thing. Whether Dirty Harry is a representation of better policing, I don't think so. But okay, I mean, it's just a movie, so <laughs> you know, we're willing to go along with it. And the first film is just, as I've said many times, is a polemic, is a, is a, is a uh, right-wing polemic about you know creating a situation that calls for you know tougher policing but the the situation is completely made up and unrealistic and you know makes uh the laws of california a laughingstock by not actually using the laws of california it is, it's just a make up world you know so so that you know in that that sense you know uh dirty if dirty harry was like an example of all police then i would say defund the police and get rid of them and replace them with uh, Andy Griffith and then you can fund the sheriff's off local sheriff's office how's that sound just, you just assured me that I could speak sit down inside the car you're not assuring anything under arrest look I'm under what gentlemen this is democracy manifest have a look at the headlock here. See that chap over there? Get your hand off my penis! This is the bloke who got me on the penis before. Get some cups. Why did you do this to me? For what reason? What is the charge? Eating a meal? A succulent Chinese meal? Oh, that's a nice headlock, sir. Oh, uh, yes. I see that you know your judo well. Good one. And you, sir? Are you waiting to receive my limp penis? How dare you get your hands on me? Tata and Next question. Would Harry be an AFL man or a rugby league kind of guy? Um, rugby league, definitely. Because it's more brutal, it's more straightforward. There's less room for the show pony. And there's less ambiguity in what you're seeing on the field. Uh, he doesn't like ambiguity. He likes uh, black and white. He's, he's a slave to ambiguity, of course. It plagues him. He doesn't need that in his recreation. So rugby league, definitely. Um, and not just for the violence, but obviously in large part for the violence. Uh, who is Harry in the police, meaning the band? Is he Anders Summers, Stuart Copeland or Sting? He is... Um, Anders Summers, he's just about getting the job done, you know, for the people, serving the people of the city in his role as a police. He serves the music in the same way. Uh, but at the same time, 
he is extremely resentful of the front man, the, the one who gets all the credit, the one who gets all the acclaim and plaudits and, and roles in David Lynch movies. He resents that and, and it causes a lot of tension. And in the end, of course, Harry throws his badge away and uh, Harry would walk out rather than play things Sting's way. Now, this last question is a really good one, but it's it was hard for me. But the question is, if Harry Callahan had to be a member of the police, like the band, Sting, Stuart Copeland, or Andy Summers, which one would he be? And this was actually a really difficult one for me because I don't like the police, the band. I'm not making a political statement about the cops. I'm, I just don't like the police. I don't like Sting's voice, basically, and some people do that to me. I'm Canadian, and I really don't like Rush, which is like heresy here. But it's just one of those voices that I don't like that much. So I don't know that much about the police. But I would say he's not Sting, definitely. Harry is not Sting, because I can't picture him singing Roxanne with that voice or anything. No chance of that. I figure he's the drummer. So he has to be Stuart Copeland, because just like boxing is the most physical sport. I think drumming is physical, and you can take out your aggression on the drums. It's hitting, essentially. Drumming would be a good outlet for his frustration with criminals and their legal rights. You know, if he had a bad day uh, dealing with, you know, judges, technicalities and things like that, he could go to the drum kit and just pound away on it. And I also had to look up some stuff about the guys because I don't really know much about the police. And Stuart Copeland, it said, composed the score to the Equalizer TV show. You know, the Edward Woodward show. So, and I think that's a show Harry would like. It seems like something he would like. So I think Stuart Copeland's kind of his guy in terms of the police. The only hesitation I have is that when I did read about Stuart Copeland, one of the things it said about him was that Stuart Copeland likes to roller skate, which Harry, I can't see doing that. So it's not 100% lined up perfectly, but I think out of those three choices... Uh, Copeland being the drummer, that's who he would be. Anyway, I really appreciate the podcast. Jay's, uh, you know, asking me to be involved is a lot of fun. It's a lot of great time listening to it, and I look forward to future episodes. Thank you. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Search warrants on demand. Take a look in the drunk tank. They're peacefully seated with confessions in their hands. It's beginning to look a lot like justice. Doing it Harry's way. Not getting lawyers involved. Let the trial hear everything. Decide it in one day. A crummy three-piece suit and a pistol that shoots Is all the department should need Cops allowed on full leash, let loose to pound the beat It's beginning to look a lot like sequels Are the order of the day For though Harry has quit, we didn't see the badge sink. Back to works the next day. 
It's beginning to look a lot like fascism. What are these lyrics I'm singing? It's my favorite movie. I've spent many times thinking about it. Yes, it's a good fucking movie. We also remade Magnum Force the following year, which we retitled Magnum. In our version, Rico survived the first movie and continues on as Harry's partner, much to the inspector's continuing disgust. Rico is painted as a real uber-nerd in this sequel, and the chief assigns the pair to Stakeout, which in this universe somehow is actually a promotion from Homicide. Larry, I thought you'd never come. The chief made me. I brought you these flowers. Well done with Shaggy, old Larry. And how's our Rico today? Oh, I'm fine, because the doctor said if I behave myself, I'll get to watch Goofy. Well, Chief, seeing that Shaggy is dead, I guess I'll be getting back to my old job. Wait a minute, Larry. Where are you going? Back to Homicide. Homicide? Yeah, they've just moved Wendell back to casualty. Him and I should be back on the streets in no time. I hate to tell you this, but Wendell's not your partner anymore. What? Well, I spoke to the mayor, and he's really happy with the way you and Rico worked on the last case. You and Rico have been transferred to the stakeout department. But what about Wendell? Wendell's much more suited to homicide than Rico will ever be. Wendell and I can calculate each other's moves. Oh, we even had special training together in the investigational homicide. Nonsense. Rico is perfect. He graduated with honors from the Camera Police Academy. No, the decision stands. Rico's your partner permanently and forthwith. You're the chief, chief. Do you want me to tell Wendell? No, I'll break the news to him. I'll see you tomorrow, though, at 8 o'clock. Are you ready yet, Rico? Like the 1973 sequel, in Magnum, a bunch of renegade cops are still taking out the hoods, though they have a little more teenage acne this time around and more effort is taken to keep their identities hidden than Magnum. I'm Officer Brady. I believe you're jaywalking. (laughs) You know who I am. Still, I'll have to see some identification. (sighs) Hey, boss. I got the dirty fucking pen. Yeah, I'll see you. In Magnum, a ballistics expert, Professor Jock, is also brought back. His scenes cut from the original Dirty Larry, and he is kidnapped by the vigilantes, his role sort of replacing the Charlie McCoy subplot. Hey, Chief, I know who killed Damon and Gerald. It's Wendell. Christ, Callahan! Wendell? A goddamn cop? That's right. I don't have time for this, Callahan. Professor Jock's been kidnapped. As per the original remake, um, dialogue is taken liberally and almost verbatim from Magnum Force. Wendell, who plays Harry's ex-partner, is essentially the Briggs of the movie and uses much of the same words. Inspector Callahan, put me through to the chief. What is it, Larry? I came home and some thug tried to jump me. 
Wait a minute, Larry. I'll be right over. Hands up, Larry. Wendell, your gun's out of your holster. First time? What I can't understand is why you, of all people. A hundred years ago, in this city, people did the same. They justified the vigilantes. We're no different. Anyone who threatens the security of the people will be executed. Evil for evil, Larry. It's retribution. That's just fine. But how does a murder fit in? When people start becoming their own executors, where's it going to end? There isn't one man we've killed who didn't deserve what was coming to him. Yes, there is, Professor Jock. And what would you have done? I would have upheld the law. What do you know about the law? Jock knew too much, just like you. I had a chance to join the team, but you'd rather stick with the system. Christ, Wendell, I hate the goddamn system. But until someone comes up with some changes that make sense, I'm sticking with it. You're about to become extinct! With no budget for a car chase, a tedious foot chase instead to a freeway overpass sees Harry chase after Wendell. And did anyone call for a bow and arrow dispatch for the bad guy? Because... You got it. What about your old partner, Eugene? Whatever happened to the crooks that killed him? Were they ever convicted? No, he got off on a technicality. Lack of admissible evidence or something. Prisons are overflowing with crimps. The real crooks are on the street. The real crooks can afford to buy their own justice. Still. And finally, it's revealed that the mayor is behind all... All of this renegade nonsense. But don't worry, Larry is there to kick him in the nuts. Your organization's through, Mayor. There's a lot more where he came from, believe me. Aren't you supposed to uphold the law? Uphold the law? You just killed a police officer. Can't you see? You won't win. People won't stand for your brutality. You just don't get it, do you, Callahan? Oh, well. You got a job to do. I, I know that, dickhead. See ya, buddy. Fortunately or unfortunately, this was our final year of high school, so no attempt to remake The Enforcer was ever attempted. I'm sorry. And you can find both of our teenage remakes, Dirty Larry and Magnum, on YouTube. Or please go to DirtyHarryMinute.com and follow the links. <laughs> go ahead. Make my millennium. <laughs> and he takes his badge and he like throws it into the river, yeah. which I think is like... Him quitting. So, thank you. Do you both read that as he's quitting the force? I, I read that as... Yeah, he's quitting the force, or I'm just confused as to maybe he's hiding his tracks, maybe like, or or mm. leaving a little like his own serial killer uh, clues or something. <laughs> he he just but, wanted to see how much he could skip it. Actually, he just wanted yeah. to see how much. Yeah, <laughs> I, that would have been awesome if he wrote his own note. And yeah, I think yeah. that that would have been perfect. <laughs> it was me all along. <laughs> yeah. The next question is: Would Harry have joined the police union back in the seventies? Uh, or been part of it 
and I think he would have been at the beginning of his police career. He would have been part of the union. I'm not even sure union history if they had them, you know, back when he would have started probably in the 1950s. But if they did, I bet there was pressure for a young officer and expectation for a young officer to be part of the union. So I bet he was. But after Magnum Force in particular with the corruption, Hal Holbrook and the cops that were basically murdering people, um, I think I could see him throwing his union card in the water, sort of like at the end, like in a deleted scene, like he threw his badge in Dirty Harry. So I don't think he continued to be in the union, uh, maybe after that, but I certainly I feel that he would have been at the beginning. When the press will turn up, he just wanders off. Yeah, which is kind of a trope of, of the all the, uh, the Dirty Harry films is he just walks off with, uh, well, there's a helicopter shot. Bearing in mind at the beginning, they're trying to improve Callahan's image. Yeah. So uh, so you yeah. knew he had mental health issues, yeah. Hmm. And and uh, uh, and what did you do? I shot him with a harpoon. And then what happened? Somebody said, where is he? And I said, he's hanging out back there. Look, right. and stop saying he was shit out of luck. That and, doesn't mean yeah, anything. All, that, it's not a phrase. It's like, well, no, it's shit out of luck. Uh, you now. are incredibly fired. Yeah. Pending investigation. No, but in this, he puts his arm around uh, Sam Walker and leaves. So yeah. I... Presumably to go and have sex. Yeah. Let's go back to your place. I just killed a guy with a harpoon and an erection that won't quit. Oh, the street violence is frightful And the mayor corrupt and spiteful The DA let's Scorpio go Let him go, let him go, let him go It doesn't show signs of stopping Electing officials is frightening Our standards are way too low They let go, we let go, we let go He's only one man He does what he can, what he can, what he can His dedication is ebbing As his talents over Frisco are spreading He's only one man Does what he can, what he can Oh, the street violence is frightful And the mayor corrupt and spiteful the DA let Scorpio go He let him go, let him go, let him go The French Connection is like this gritty reality of a film right it's trying to emulate this is what the streets of new york feels like and this is what it uh a, a cop who hates everyone is pushed to do this movie i term it gritty unreality i never once believed that this is actually a real human being the very first scene you see clint eastwood he's chowing down on that hot dog goes outside shoots six shots flips a car kills three people stops a bank robbery from happening, and then finishes hot dog. I do not believe this is, is a real person from the get-go. I guess I haven't. I Maybe I should you know, uh, go down to downtown Vancouver more often. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so because of that, I think this movie is showing its hand at the very beginning and being like, this is not reality. 
like come along the ride of this thriller. And on that level, and on that level alone, I think it succeeds really well. I think this is a really executed thriller of a story. Now, whether or not I believe in its actual politics, that's another that's another comment for another day. Um, but I don't know. What, do you have any rebuttal to that, Matt? I, I think it. I think it's a thriller where it keeps you on that high, and yeah. by the end of it, you're still on it. That it doesn't have a conclusion. Doesn't. It's like sure. great. He's dead, but. So are all those people he killed and like, (laughs) he fucking, he traumatized these kids on a school bus. And like, I'm, I'm curious as to what happened to all the people and the, the world now that he's gone or that's nobody cares. Well, I, I, well, I think, (laughs) I I think, no, no, man, I think that is actually a really interesting point you bring up. Um, and, and one, I don't think this movie is interested in answering, which is like, okay, so dirty Harry has found justice, but have the people felt justice and i don't know like i think he he's crossing this line where it's like well i know what's right and i know that there's been this miscarriage of justice so i'm going to take it into my own hands to go and kill this man and these people the tour guide for the um ice cave thing karina i went into talked about how Icelanders love hot dogs and in fact could have them for breakfast, lunch, or dinner because how much they love them. Which makes me wonder, is Harry American? Or is he in fact an Icelander? Examples slash evidence? He wears a sweater. Iceland, famous for their sweaters. So Harry might be an uh, Icelander displaced to America which also might uh, explain his laconic uh, speech it is his first language why is the cop who is like kind of racist doesn't give a shit doesn't like anybody different for this movie than it was in the French connection because it's the same thing it's well it, it is and it isn't the French connection a is Based on a true story. Ish, yeah. Ish. B, that's a classic drama because at the end it's so realistic because nothing actually fucking happens. Right. I mean, that is very true life. He gets away. Like the villain the gets villain away. The villain gets okay. away. Not not uh, not that he wins, not that it's scathing, but because it's real police procedural. And C, like A, I mean, Gene Hackman is Gene Hackman. So he he plays a very humanist asshole. He's empathetic in some scenes. He's cruel in others. He's uh, he's doing everything, the full range. That car chase scene, which is so famous now yep, with the yep. train, uh, he looks rattled by it. You know, mm. by the time he's confronting the one guy, the one assassin or whatever on the on the steps, he's beat. He's tired, and he shoots him because he's fucking upset. Dirty Harry's. That's this guy's. A, like you said, he's a two dimensional cartoon character, and I love Clint Eastwood, but. It's hard to get behind a film where the protagonist is just this guy who can never die. Like, he gets shot. I thought he spilled ketchup on his leg. I did too, actually. Then he goes to the doctor. They pull out a bullet. And he's just walking around in his skinny jeans after that. And then he shoots a bunch of guys, gets beat up, starts walking around. It's uh, And that's why I said that's why he's like this. He's like a superhero in a three-piece suit. He kind of was like like Batman when he like just appeared when wherever the villain was. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I agree. Yes. Maybe these are lessons learned from this era of creating a backstory of the bad guy. So whether you like them or not, 
the uh, moral resolution comes from two characters fighting. Whereas this one, all of the violence is happening to innocent bystanders. We get no insight into why this serial killer wants to do any of this stuff. Yeah. He's just this, yeah, this manifestation of, I guess, in the Christian terms, the devil. Uh, worse than the devil, because it's not even about free will. He's like, he's just the plague. He just wants to do it. Yeah. Everybody dies. He dies. Nobody gives a shit. And like you said, Matt, the director doesn't give a shit. The screenwriter doesn't give a shit. Dirty Harry doesn't give a shit. Um, so why should I? This movie has no moral center, and not every movie needs to, but this thing's pushing you pretty hard to think about murder, sure. death, and vengeance, and it has no core. I'll give you this point, Kyle, like just contextualizing it. Uh, what we learn is this movie is written and made while the Zodiac Killer is active. And so, yes. in a reflective sense, the people who are experiencing it also don't know why it's happening. Um, and so, you know, if you're going to borrow lived experience as somebody, uh, you know, reading a newspaper, then you can kind of see how they might paint this picture. But why don't they at least guess at something or create mm. a backstory? And as we learned, someone tried to and they For cut it movie? out. Fascism is a system. It's a philosophical system. We villainize the leaders of those systems. So we say Hitler was a fascist, but he's not a fascist. He's a sociopath who used a political system. A fascist is basically a monarch. They believe they know best and that people don't know how to make decisions for themselves. And it ties into racism and nationalism for that reason, because they're like, well, if all Germans are great, and we all have blonde hair and blue eyes, then we just got to mm -hmm. do it the German way and we'll win, right? Dirty Harry doesn't do that. He doesn't give a fuck about anybody. He just wants to kill things. He doesn't believe in, he doesn't even talk about justice. It's not even about doing the right thing about this serial killer. He's just, he's no, just kind of a maverick, right? What What is in the text of the movie, like what is actually happening in the movie is that he is super upset by the fact that he is a part of the system and he, I think, does believe like, yeah, a cop is doing something good for the world. At least he, he believes that cops are doing something good. He talks to the wife that about this, how he doesn't even know why he does what he does. Sure. But I'm just saying like where he goes completely off the rocker is when they get away. Like he captures people that were doing bad things and then they get off on technicalities. That is an example of the system not working the way that he knows that it should. And he knows they're going to go and commit bad things. He knows that the serial killer is going to go off and kill bad people. But because he didn't get like due process did, no. to go and do, do what he did, you read he says, that? Like, fine, it's old. But my family would always watch the evening news while we were eating dinner. That was just the thing we did. And I remember this case happening where this guy's daughter, who was like a teenager, kidnapped, raped, killed. So awful, awful story. They're in the courtroom. And because of some weird technicality, he's he's only going to get like two years of prison or something like that for doing these awful things. Further comes down and the father jumps the barricade and starts pummeling on that guy. And I'm like, well, yeah, like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> go nuts, honestly, uh, for what you want to do. But is that the proper thing to do? He got justice in quotes. But is it 
real justice when you know that the only reason he's going to jail for two years is because of a technicality. And I think that's what this movie is trying to wrestle with is like, where is that line for society? When is it okay for the individual to take it upon themselves to be like, yeah, let's go and round up the horses and be like, oh, no, that's okay. The police know what they're doing and they'll just do it for us and we don't have to worry about it. It's fair. That's probably fair. Right? Mm. And, uh, yeah, he says, well, maybe I'll start my own Deadpool and put you on it. And he says, you can't say that. Yeah, he says, is that a threat? And he goes, no. He says, it fucking is. Yeah. <sighs> Look, this is the slippery slope that brings people to this idea of what we define as libertarians now. One thing that we as a society lose sight of is, A, the reason why st- structural philosophies, laws, ethics formal discussions of this stuff exist is not only to create rules for us to coexist as a society, but because the context of, let's say, being hurt changes over time Mm -hmm. and needs to be on a generational societal basis. So, for example, as just as a, like, you know, reductio ad absurdum, when you were 10, if someone took your lunch money and you felt it's justified for me to punch them in the face. When you're 15, who gives a fuck? Mm -hmm. And the reality is, of course, these really, really intense... Like, when I was living in Toronto, when I was a kid, we had the Paul Bernardo fucking maniac, you know, uh, kidnapping, raping, murdering, chopping up girls. You know, when you read stories like that, of course, we become impassioned in this empathetic thing where, like, if I was that kid's brother or that kid's dad, I would want to fucking stab that dude in the face but that is the exact thing that devolves cultures into, you know, fucking anarchy. And so the idea that in this one situation, it's correct for me to jump a barricade and punch this motherfucker in the face to be a dirty Harry, because this guy's about to get uh, scot-free. If you want to go that line in this movie, this movie needs to be about the lawyers. Mm-hmm. It can't be about the cop centering this whole narrative around Dirty Harry himself, like there isn't even a lawyer except for that one five minute sequence where the lawyer is this piece of shit yelling at him. He he doesn't even seem upset that it's getting thrown out. He's just giving Harry a hard time. And then it's over. It has nothing to do with legality or right. or nuance or, or any of that right. stuff. And I think, I, I think we're arguing the same point from like two separate sides here. Whereas I'm not, my argument is not that, oh, everyone should be Dirty Harry. That's not my point. My point, as I started off with, is because this is so unrealistic, you know, as I said, starts off with him flipping a car, shooting these six shots, being shown to be basically a superhero. I'm looking at this as essentially wish fulfillment from the audience. This is their opportunity to be like, yeah, that guy's a sicko. And yeah, it's great that I get to be at this. He's the audience surrogate for me to go and get him blasted, Mm -hmm. drowned and thrown into a river. And then that is where the entertainment ends. Like more interesting for the ending. I don't know necessarily what the script said in the other renditions, but I feel like it'd be more interesting if he wasn't just fighting the uh, Scorpio guy, but if the cops and the the law did come to, like, take him out Mm. as well. And so Clint Eastwood was fighting not only Scorpio, but he was fighting the police and trying to, like, battle that. Being apologetic about this film on the basis that it always was meant to be a cartoon. Do the does the production company director and actor not have some and writer have some responsibility to not make this film? 
Because what this film then does is you're saying wish fulfillment. We, we learn history. This, the sudden, uh, everybody's buying this fucking 44 Magnum, right? Yeah. Everybody's going out like uh, the, one of the writers takes this piece home. The, it feeds into this gun nut idea that the law ends here, but true justice is when I take the, the world into my own hands. That's more fascist than this storyline. And I think that we have to be careful in like watching this film that we don't get caught up too much in the context from an intellectual standpoint, because this is a, vi this is a violent movie for the sake of being violent. Uh, it's entertaining, but it's also, you know, kind of corrupting, frankly. How does Harry Callahan, that is, normally celebrate Christmas? Well, on Christmas Eve, I think, he goes to sit by himself at the back of a church where there is a choir singing at the front, but he doesn't go near the front. He stays at the back by himself, sitting lonely in a pew, just thinking over the last year, thinking of the justice he dealt out, but also thinking of the moral ambiguity he has become increasingly entangled with since last Christmas. Uh, and then usually a small girl uh, comes to sit beside him and asks him why he's alone at Christmas. Uh, and uh, he says, well, I've got no one to be with. I've got no family. And she says, that's really sad. And they get to talking and it turns out she does have a terminal disease and she does invite him to spend Christmas with her family. Uh, and Harry does that. He spends Christmas with a family. He, he has Christmas lunch with them. But as he leaves the house, he knows he'll never see these people again because they're good people and they're decent people. And having Harry in their lives is a complication they don't need. So I like to go to Paris and we were in Paris and we were um, in a really quaint and curious little bistro that my wife took us to. So quaint and curious that it was, you know, folding in on itself, like everything awesome in the middle of Paris. The buildings are slightly slanted and the staircase is like kind of rotted and you could die and it's treacherous and you have to walk up. And I swear to you that the waiter looked exactly like Pee Wee Herman. We go downstairs and the guys uh, got an old fashioned uh, till with the machine that you punch the buttons and um, the, the ordering uh, pike that you put the orders on like that, that if you think about it, it's the most dangerous thing that you could ever have in a restaurant because one errand putting a check down on it and you'd be like, ah, you know, like you'll have stigmata the rest of your life. And he's there and uh, I bring the check down and he's going through it and he's like, um, and he goes, uh, it's like 60, 70 euros or whatever. And I go, there must be some terrible mistake because I have a personality and we're in Paris and you have to show some backbone. He says the check is 70 euros. And I said, there must be some terrible mistake. And he looks up from under his glasses and goes, well then, perhaps you had better call Detective Harry Callahan. <laughs> and I said, all right then, but I'll be back tomorrow night to get to the bottom of this. And he says, for you, the mystery is never over. 
This is word for word, you guys. I'm going to make a word of that up. And that's why I love Paris. Because it's not happening in a lot of other places. No one tells you to go look for Detective Harry Callahan and makes a 1971 film reference. Uh, question two. Would Harry participate in the secret Santa Chris Kringle? Um, I think he would. But he would not participate with any kind of uh, lightheartedness or humour. I think he would play it pretty much straight down the line. I think uh, he would buy Chico uh, some bullets. Uh, I think he would get Bressler uh, some bullets. Uh, And I think, you know, with just the only impishness he may allow himself all year, he would buy the chief... Uh, a copy of um, the Code of Conduct for the San Francisco Police Force. Is Harry an eggnog kind of guy? Um, I don't I don't really see him as an eggnog kind of guy. I mean, if eggnog's all that's there, he'll knock it back for the hell of it. But it, it's, just, it's just a bit too fancy. It's a bit too uh, festive. For his liking, he doesn't see the need for any frills in his drinking. Uh, and eggnog is is definitely a frill. Um, I think he he sees eggnog as superfluous. So I, I I can't see him. If there's any other choice, I I don't think he's going for eggnog. What is a nightmare for Harry? Does anything legitimately scare him? Well, once again, an interesting thing to do with Harry, if you did another movie with Harry, which you can't now, because Harry Clint would is much too old for the part. But if you did do that, is have him meet a woman that he loves, and that would be terrifying to him, because he's already lost his wife to random chance. And so you create a situation where there is some sort of threat to her or to his family, And I think that would be a nightmare for Harry. I think part of his being closed off in the movies is the fact that he loved and lost someone. And in a completely random way that, you know, is uncontrolled. And so, you know, someone like him who, you know, probably became a policeman partly to help people, but also, you know, there's a sense, I think, for people who are police, the idea that you can control uh, bad things from happening and then something bad happens to your wife and you couldn't control it that's really demoralizing and debilitating for someone like Dirty Harry I think I think that affects his relationships with people and I think that would you know make it hard for him to do what I'm saying which is to fall in love with someone but you never you cannot stop that bolt of lightning from happening so if it did happen it would definitely be a nightmare for him the idea of that that his family would be at risk The left wing media to this day are still trying to round up devotees of the 1971 film and have them shot. We've arranged for uh, rooftop surveillance and helicopter patrols. It might surprise many viewers who Harry's personal saviour is. Jesus. The San Franciscan mayor was voted in with a fraction of a percentage. There's a madman loose. Rumours abound about dirty Harry Callahan's appendage. How he deals with it. Uh, nothing fancy now, huh? You know, just a little uh, tweezers and mercurical. Harry, is it true you only shower once a week? That's my policy. 
After Harry visits Jaffe's quick lunch diner, his partners run a mile away from his intestines. It'll get us more breathing space. Harry, are you a vigilante or a cop? Well, what difference does it make? Harry can only afford hot dogs, but he dreams of the day when... He's got two cracked ribs. Little ditty about Chico and Harry Two San Fran inspectors messing with Hot Mary Chico even had a teaching credential Thought he could rough it with Harry Man, was he mental Sucking on a jumbo dog outside Quick lunch, a lunatic with a cannon Following his own personal hunch Two cops on the beat One of them's crazy Others got cold feet. Oh, yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of catching Scorpio is gone. Oh, yeah, life goes on. Norma thought he had what it takes. Man, was she wrong? Um, okay, would Harry participate in Secret Santa or Chris Kringle with his office colleagues? And what might he get, Chico? Bressler or the chief? Well, I'm going to approach this from two ways. One is, I think that Harry is not like, he's not against Christmas. Christmas is fine. You know, like, Christmas is fine, but it's fine for other people. Like, he doesn't want to be involved with Christmas. Because he doesn't want to be involved with anything that has, like, emotional aspects to it. Because, you know, we know he's a wounded bird. He lost his wife. His wife was killed by a drunk driver. That is a, that is his, his emotional psychic scar that haunts him, you know, and so he cannot enjoy Christmas because Christmas, you know, is a, is about family and it's about togetherness and he doesn't have that because he lost it. And so that just reminds him of it and he's not into that. And so as much as he could, he would want to avoid like the trappings of Christmas. But let's pretend for the sake of this question, that the San Francisco, San Francisco Police Department mandates Secret Santa. So everyone, no matter who they are, has to take part in the secret Kris Kringle, uh, you know, party at, at, at Christmas time. And so what I think, though, is that, is that uh, Harry's gifts would be the most thoughtless gifts you could ever get from someone. Basically, they would just be like cupboard-clearing gifts. Maybe re-gifts in some cases, but mostly things like, you know, he's got too many mugs in his cupboard, so you're going to get a mug. It's not going to be even a matching set of mugs. Is this going to be like a random mug you're going to get? Will it even have words on it? Probably not. Probably not. Just a regular mug that he just didn't have room for in his cupboard anymore. It's yours. Happy Christmas. Or maybe he's, he's getting rid of some ties. He has too many ties, or maybe he doesn't. He doesn't have ties that matches his, his suits anymore, so he needs to get rid of those those ties. And so there you go, ho ho ho! Here's a tie for you. I kind of think that's what it would be, you know. Someone, some family member mails him some, you know, uh, some sort of book or or uh, maybe a a gauche, uh, you know, a kitschy little uh, knickknack for for you know deck, dec- home decor sort of thing. That's getting. That's getting put in a bag and uh, probably a brown paper bag and put on your desk on when the secret Kris Kringle time of the year. Speaking of like you, Jer, uh, John asks, is Harry an eggnog kind of guy?
And you were the one who introduced me to eggnog, and I am not an eggnog kind of guy. <laughs> I well, and if he if he is, is he a spiked with rum eggnog? Right, right. See, I think I'm, he just drinks straight out of the, you know, out of the the whiskey bottle, and yeah, he doesn't even he just doesn't even bother with the like eggnog. he he throw he yeah. throws an egg in. throws an egg in his tumbler and then just (laughs) hey eggnog seems like one of those things that it's usually you you drink it sort of in a group setting or Mm -hmm. at at, at some sort of uh, festivity (laughs) or alone it sounds like a a horrible Uh, cult ritual uh, (laughs) you drink it in a ritualistic group setting Kali yes. Ma. <laughs> yeah. I don't see Dirty Harry being invited to a Christmas party nor participating in those sorts of uh, yeah, festivities. Right. I can yeah. see him at like the office Christmas party and he's walking by and they make him take a, you know, he's, he dips the thing in, has a sip and goes, ugh, and puts the thing down and leaves. Yeah. 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 Or, or, yeah, he just kind of looks and goes, all you people are sick. <laughs> 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 Isn't something then, you're gonna get salmonella? Walks <laughs> out, you know. I don't know if you know about salmonella. That seems like he. Yeah. Did he crack the salmonella case? He finally got a little sal. <laughs> Leave it to Hal Callahan. My God. Modern audiences may as well castrate the film. I want to cut your pants off. Scorpio, the deviant, likes to be beaten up. But many people don't realize that Harry himself is also a beastie. And he's prepared to pay big time. Twenty-nine fifty. Let it hurt. You want to see me, Lieutenant? Harry? Some of the officers saw you in the locker room shower yesterday. You can't an eye fool, you goddamn pie hawker. We ought to call the police. I am a police. Would Harry at Christmas time, agree to dress up as Santa for the kids. Maybe they ha- for the department Christmas party. Maybe they bring the kids. Maybe the families. You know, maybe maybe officers who have kids. They bring their wives and their kids to the party, and uh, you know, and there's like a Santa Claus there, and he gives out gifts to the kids. Would Harry do that? Would he take part in this roster of of uh, Santa Clauses? My answer is yes. Yes, he would. Would he? In- would he be happy about it? No. He would not be happy about it. But like Harry always says, why is he called Dirty Harry? Because he always gets the dirty jobs, right? That's a, that's a fact. And he's not going to say no to his duty to entertain the kids as Santa Claus, no matter how horrible it is and how many kids pull on his beard and how many kids, you know, mess up his lap in some way. I don't want to go into too many details. I'm just thinking chocolate hands. I, that's all I was thinking of. Nothing else. Don't, don't get gross, guys. Um, yeah, he would be into it. I mean, he wouldn't be into it, but he'd be down for it because, you know, that's who he is. Uh, this last question, uh, where in San Francisco would Harry spend his Christmas besides uh, Jaffe's Hot Dog Diner? Oh, mm. wow. And my, my my guess would be that he would spend his Christmas up on uh broadway and north beach where all of the strip clubs are <laughs> like i just see he just seems like a he'd go into the seediest sure. dirtiest place he could find and like escape it escape yeah. christmas yeah. yeah but you know he's the type of guy that you see 
sort of, you know, nursing a drink at a strip club. But interestingly enough, they always sort of, they, they would, he seems to be the type of guy who would also never pay for that sort of That's true. entertainment, mm-hmm. nor would he really fully enjoy it. You kind of feel like he if would he's be there. At, yeah. Yeah. If he's at the strip club, he would be talking to, you know, what, what maybe one of the entertainers in, in a way that he's trying to solve a case or something like I can't <laughs> imagine him. Actually, doesn't he in the in the first Dirty Harry movie? Doesn't I he go to the like, strip club I, just to keep an eye on uh, Scorpio? Oh, probably. Yeah, right. he. I think he does. Yeah, and he seems disgusted that he's while he's there, but he's, <laughs> it's it's a chance for more violence. So. And it's and it's he's, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's one of those guys. It's like he's a man's man, but he comes across as asexual. I guess. Well, unless you count uh, Fast Mary. <laughs> Dude, he's looking in the yeah, he's looking in the window of uh of her uh apartment. Oh, really? oh see, I, yeah, it's been a while he's, since I've seen these. And, and Dirty Harry, he's looking at these. Oh yes, that's right. He's staring into her window, and he's then they come up and try to beat it. him up. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's right. I do remember that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Good questions. He's yeah. he's he's an interesting interesting character. Yeah. Yeah. It. it, it it's interesting that he was. Like basically a psychopath, but he was also the hero. Like he wasn't even really an anti-hero. He was sort of the yeah. hero of the movie. Yeah, it? I don't know if you'd see that much of that today. He's a loose cannon. Yeah, right. Well, he, yeah. he's the guy. Yeah, he's the guy where it's like an injustice has been done, and so we lean on him to right a wrong, even mm-hmm. though it he he has to circumvent our society to do it our laws and our society to do it right. actually how, how would you compare him to like uh michael douglas's character in falling down <laughs> uh he's a cop that's the only difference yeah <laughs> i think that is the difference like he, he's <laughs> he's there, paid to do it it's legal for him to do it has there ever been any kind of like prequel like you know before dirty harry like this is how he became the guy he is or anything like that <laughs> ever gone like you know, he just so. had some horrible falling down day or something, <laughs> and that turned him. It all happened on the same day. Like yeah, he got. Yeah, he got. Someone called him a punk. Yeah, somebody. Yeah, just Stuck like Indiana Jones in the train car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, he's 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 a great slice of Americana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, especially yeah. The, the, the urban seventies, yeah. late sixties, reactionary Americana. Right. Oh, the, sure. Ur, like, like, like the cowboy, but he's you know the urban, urban cowboy. He's gonna, he's got to take things, matters into his own. Head. He, he's, you know, he self deputizes, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who is Harry Callahan in the police? Oh, not the police force. I know that's what you're thinking of. No, no. This is the band, the police. The popular late 70s, early 80s band. Maybe maybe they're pure all 80s. I don't exactly know when their Zenyatta Mondata came out. I don't know these things. I don't remember when Ghost in the Machine came out. Actually, I do remember when that came out. And that, that was definitely the 80s. I think it was 82. Anyway, um... Who would Harry be in the police? Sting? Would he be Sting? 
Would he be Sting? Seriously, would he be Sting? No. Sting is, as I, it's the, the, I don't know Sting. Let me just point out, I don't know any of the members of the police. I've never met them. I don't know them all, at all. I'm judging them from a distance and judging them harshly. And that's for personal reasons that have nothing to do with, with this question. Would he be Sting? No. Fuck no. Because Sting is, is uh, to me, Sting seems very self-serious in a way that Harry isn't. Harry's serious, but I don't think he's self-serious. You know what I mean? I, don't, I think he could laugh at himself. I think he can, I think he's a human, you know? Sting is, I don't think Sting is quite human. Like Sting apparently can have, you know, six hours of tantric sex. Does that sound like Harry Callahan? Is Harry, Harry Callahan having six hours of tantric sex? No, he's not. He's not. Because he's not interested in, in six hours of sex. Nor should anyone else be, for that matter. Yet Sting, you know, uh, a long time ago, boasted of this in a magazine article I read. In Q Magazine, that's where it appeared. It was a co-inter—it was a co-interview with Bob Geldof and Sting, two of the largest egos in British music. It's quite the scene, I imagine. So I'm going to take Sting off the board, everyone. I'm going to say to Sting, don't stand so close to me. Get it? Because that was a song. Would he be Andy Summers or 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 uh, Stuart Copeland? Well, Stuart Copeland is uh, a drummer. He was the drummer. Um, you know what? Thinking about it, I was going to go with Andy Summers. Because Andy Summers is old, but then Stuart Cope, you know what? They're all old. They're actually all old. The police, people don't realize this, but the police tricked us. The police, not the police force. They may trick us too. I don't know. But I'm talking about the, the band, the police. They, like, they fooled my generation. I grew up, I was in the generation of the police. Okay. I'm in my mid fifties. I, my, one of the first singles I ever bought was Don't Stand So Close to Me by, by the, by the police. And, uh, that, you know, I fell for it. I fell for the... I, I just assumed... I didn't think they were the same age as me, obviously. I was a teenager at the time. But I assumed that they were early 20s. You know, band. Band guys. Some kids got together in a group, played together for a few years, got discovered, started to ha- started having some... You know, putting out records with, with names like Zenyatta Mondata, whatever else they were called. What are the other ones called? Like Blanco Des Amores or something. Uh, they started putting out records with funny titles. And I just assumed... They were, like, pretty close to my age. I assumed they were part of, like, the hip new wave generation, and they weren't. Andy Summers, guitarist in The Police, played guitar, played guitar with Eric Burden in The New Animals in the 60s. That's how old he was. That's how old he was. Who was, was, uh, that guy was, what was his name? Steve? You know, Steve, Steve from the Sex Pistols? Did he, he, was he playing in a band in the 60s? No. He wasn't. He was enjoying bands from the 60s. And he took that enjoyment into the Sex Pistols. Was was Mick Jones of The Clash? Was he playing with... You know, these guys weren't playing in the 60s. Andy Summers was playing in the 60s. He was in a, he was in a group called... What were they called? They were called... Oh, man, I can't remember now. Dantelian's Chariot. A psychedelic rock group. This is not a new wave artist. All right? Stuart Copeland was in a prog rock band called Curved Air. They had a flute in it. You know what? Take this off the board. Harry was never, he would never be one of the police because he is not a bald-faced hypocrite and a big liar and a guy who bleaches his hair to fool, fool school children into thinking that the, they're like in some sort of hip generation of new waivers. So yeah, nope, not part of the police. Forget that question. That question is off the board, off the board completely.
stadium car Scaling a fence while a queenie fucks off Breaking and entering's a lot of fun But now the inadmissibility has begun Cop on edge, cop on edge, cop on edge, cop Kicking down doors while ticks the clock Dancing and prancing under floodlights Grievous trampling of rights Emergency time is the right time To make the bad guy say Where the girl is, even break his hips We need an answer today Stadium, stadium, stadium car We can do a deal! We can do a deal, man! Come on, we can do a deal! I don't deal with criminals. Harry is a compassionate lover. You're a sweet man, Harry. When he is off duty, Harry likes nothing more than chowder down at Fisherman's Wharf. But green legislation means that fishing trawlers can only meet certain quotas. Yeah, throw a net over the whole bunch of... Everyone assumes Harry is racist. He does find it difficult to choose his words correctly. Anybody know who the boy is? Harry's actions may be grandiose, but he has a voice that can cut butter. It's so smooth. Alright, Harry had a little lamb, its fleece was white as snow. Chief, I'm strung out. I need something to take the edge off. Stop an elephant. Yeah. Power of you like a little edge. I can get. Harry always thinks of others before himself. When you're cooking marshmallows over the fire? Don't worry. Always gets the shit end of the stick. One more word out of you and you're chopped off at the ankles. Harry doesn't mind smashing the glass ceiling for minorities, but still he... he wants to know what Gonzalez was doing up there. Harry's always looking for some companionship. Long blonde hair... Medium build, about 150 pounds. Uh, pale complexion. De Giorgio is not innocent either. He can let him rip just as much as Harry. Doc, it's very important you try to remember. There's a 14-year-old girl who's suffocating. Harry bought all the tweed jackets at the Black Saturday sales. He snatched them all up good. Where the hell does it say you've got a right to kick down doors? On his days off... Harry loves to visit Spanish missions and old churches. Where have you been? Does Escobedo ring a bell? Miranda? Some people said Clint Eastwood actually acted in Dirty Harry. The problem is we don't have any evidence. Evidence? What the hell do you call that? I call it nothing. Zero. Harry gets a talking down. No more peeping at Hot Mary. I don't want any more surveillance. Dirty Harry is a very suspenseful film. The sexual chemistry between Harry and his partner, you could cut it with a knife. I've been talking to Bressler about being on permanent work. Scorpio is a very conflicted character. He says he has dreams about... My wife's brother. In the sequel, Harry is back to help the liquor proprietor with his shooting. I'm getting to be a pretty good shot. Harry doesn't have any close friends, just a... Skeleton crew.
Yeah. What's your name? Callahan. What are you? Police officer. Hello? Hello. All right, police officer. This is how we play. Youngstown tune-up. A Youngstown tune-up. That was a that was a famous thing uh, in Youngstown, really? Ohio. Oh yeah, Youngstown, Ohio had this era where the you know the mafia was was uh, wow. prevalent uh, wow. because Youngstown was right in between like Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and Buffalo, and mm. they were vying. Those cities were vying. They were vying for I guess territory. Was that Youngstown, like the neutral fighting ground? I guess, but the Youngstown tune-up was famous. They had something like, you know, 40 or 50, you know, the of the car bomb where you start the car Jeez. and the ignition goes up. They like in like 10 years or 15 years, they had like 40 or 50. It was, it wow. was really a, a lot. You can look it up. Youngstown tune-up. It's uh <laughs> I love pretty that. crazy. That yeah. Before. That's cool. Apparently, there was a um in one occasion one of the big mobsters in Youngstown, I, I think they, their car blew up and they had kids in the car. Uh-oh. And Ooh. that was, yeah, most of the mobsters, like they, they now said no more, we're not doing any more of the car explosion and exploding things. Like that's one too many. <laughs> they said that and they kind of called the truth. Like it was unsavory. Sounds like a town hall deciding not to do <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> it was rather unpalatable. <laughs> To do it because it, it created a lot of stir and it was yeah. bad news. You guys made yeah. it weird. But yeah, now we can't gonna... blow people up in their cars because you guys. But to get but started. in Youngstown, they did not abide by the rule. They oh. continued oh. to do them. Yes. Oh, son oh. of a bitch. Yeah, that oh, actually gross. famously happened to Danny Green in Cleveland, Ohio, right off uh, 271. It was right that uh, 271 by um, uh, was it Cedar? Cedar in 271, and which is, uh, what was it, Kill the Irishman, that movie? I, I think, know. yeah, the the yeah it had, like, Christopher Walken in it, I believe. Huh. Oh, I I, you guys know what I'm talking, talking about? about? Danny Green was a famous mobster in Cleveland. He was, he was, hmm. an, he was, he was Irish. They blew him up with the Youngstown, with the Youngstown tune-up, I think, in the <laughs> 70s, maybe early 80s. And we, my, we'd be driving by going to Beachwood Place, Tommy, and my dad I would am. go, that's where Danny Green blew up. <laughs> and you'd be like i, I don't that. even know who that is or what it is i'm just i'm, I'm just sorry going for your to, loss yeah i'm just going to <laughs> i'm going to chick-fil-a here <laughs> like i'm not trying to but every and then that that place is uh, everybody knows that's where danny green blew up wow yeah it, it's <laughs> actually it fascinating if you look it up huh it's funny like things dads say that are, are completely inappropriate like i <laughs> My dad, like I was a huge Evil Knievel fan, and my dad would talk about him beating up a guy with a baseball bat, and oh, I would just God, lie geez. in bed at night thinking about that. Like, <laughs> that's why awful. would Evil Why would Evil Knievel try to hurt a man with a baseball bat? <laughs> yeah. that if is I like awful. him, does that mean that I want to hit somebody with a baseball bat? <laughs> what kind of yeah, person exactly. am I? <laughs> oh, yeah, ironically, from the man who had uh, every bone broken in his body, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to make you like me, you see? (laughs) Can you hear me, Dave? I don't hear Dave. Can you hear me, Dave? 
Dave's gone. Almost about to wrap up, um, Brian. Yeah, not, not a problem. Just two more things. Yeah. Sweet. I just got to restart my uh, recording here. Sorry. I forgot I had left my... I unplugged my, my power cord from my my uh, recorder, so it was on battery power and the batteries ran out. Oh. Oops. <laughs> That's okay, though. I'm back on... I'm back using USB power, so... Actually... Hold on, it looks like... Is this better? Yeah. There you go. Is it better though, or the same, pretty much? It's no, it's much louder, so that's better. <laughs> we can hear you. Actually, how am I? Can you hear me right now? Yeah. Because um, I was just noticing mine actually was saying my computer audio, and I just switched it to the USB, even though earlier it wasn't. <laughs> so. No, you sound actually. You sound better now than you did before. Oh my God! I, you know what? I something might have happened because. Uh, earlier, when I was muting myself, I don't think you guys could hear me, but then, you, you know, it said I was talking even though I was off mute. I think it got switched to my computer audio and not my actual, my headset. Mm-hmm. Uh, ho- hopefully, it, hopefully the audio quality is okay, you know. Um, then you, uh, I just have to scroll down past some stuff here. You mentioned a thing called pie floaters from South Australia. And uh, as good as that sounds, we don't have them here. Upside down meat pie served in pea soup with potato dumplings. That's awesome. Well, I hope that helps. I hope I'm not too late with these answers. Sorry, I am. I just I've been I'm uh, just been lazy. Sorry, I've been de- decompressing from a year of uh, almost two years of, of uh, constant work. So I'm just kind of. I'm just kind of taking it easy these days, to be honest with you. All right, John, but take care. Take care, and uh, hope everyone's well. Hope the family's well. And I will talk to you later. And also, I'm not going to edit this, so make me sound great. Thanks, pal. Bye. It's your degree? Sociology. Uh. Sociology. Oh, you'll go far. They're threatening another Harry sequel. Please. I scare easy. <laughs>